0: Markets don't care about your spreadsheet. They don't care about your degree. They don't care about how much money you have. They don't care about how much money you don't have. Markets don't care about how much experience you have. Markets are just going to do what they do. So you have to find out what you are within them.
1: Welcome back to Beyond the Price, a podcast from CoinPost that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. I've got a real treat for you this week. I interviewed Weston Nakamura, someone I'm sure many of you are familiar with. If you're not, but you're interested in Asian macroeconomics, either to invest in Asia or to see how Asia affects your investments elsewhere, you should definitely follow him. Now, I'm not trying to make this show into an investment show, but economics matter for everything. So I want to be able to evaluate the current system, to understand why things are the way they are, and to see what effects something like Bitcoin could have on it. I also want people to be able to come to these episodes without much prior knowledge, which is why we start with Weston's background and advice for newcomers to finance and investment. But even if you are a little more sophisticated, I think you'll get value from our discussion about how Bitcoin fits alongside so-called macro assets like currencies, commodities, government bonds, and stock market indices. Or how traditional financial institutions potentially view Bitcoin, and how Weston, who comes from a TradFi background, Use it as well. You might be surprised. But don't worry, even if you aren't that into Bitcoin, in the second half we look at Japan specifically, why the Bank of Japan plays such an outsized role on the global stage, and what impact that role is having right now. Why did the yen get decimated against the dollar last year? If you get paid in yen and you watched your paycheck get chipped away last year in dollar terms, this one's for you. And I couldn't resist asking Weston where he thinks the yen is going from here. The Japan part starts off a little technical with terms like yield curve control, but I think, by the end, we do break a lot of it down into bite-sized pieces. I think you'll really get a kick out of this one. Weston brings a lot of passion and humor to these topics that I always appreciate, but let me know what you think, because it is a slightly different type of episode than we've had up until now, although it is more in line with what I'd like to do long term. And sorry about my side of the audio, I had to record at the office, but I don't think that'll be happening again, so it should be better in the future. Okay, hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Weston Nakamura of Across the Spread. Weston, welcome to the show. Hello, Brad. How are you? Good to see you again. I'm good. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, So you're the go-to guy for Japan macro, whether it's uh, yen, dollar exchange rate, other Asian currencies, Asian stocks, the latest uh, central bank moves. And I actually, you were surprised to hear this, but I know a bunch of people who, like when I said I'm interviewing you, they were like, oh man, I can't wait. Um, and listening to your podcast, so, so the people I know are mainly based in Japan, but listening to your podcast, uh, it seems like most of your audience is in the US, but they're curious about what's happening in Japan, what's happening in Asia. Um, so clearly there's a huge demand for what you're supplying, but it seems like there aren't many people like you uh, who are giving that information. And there's definitely no one like you who's, who's uh doing it with the kind of color or the flair that you do it so my first question is is, is like, that good or bad <laughs> i love it i think i mean that's why that's why you have a following that's why people huh. keep coming back but well, i'm curious you. like how you ended up in this position what's your what's your backstory and feel free sure. to to make it as long as you like uh, <laughs> um yeah I won't, I won't make it too long um so i um
0: what i what i always say is like i i'm not you know a typical finance person um but then i realized you know that it's also kind of putting finance people in a monolith so i don't want to necessarily do that but what i mean by that is so um, i just have been always been a terrible student and i have a horrendous academic record um, and i had no interest in finance or no not forget the like finance industry i had no idea like about stocks and bond yields and and whatever right um and then in 2008, you know, when Lehman went down and the whole world ended, that's when I kind of really woke up, like, you know, that's when I realized, like, oh my god, like, this is this is entire, like, industry or this, like, I don't know what, what you want to call it, because it's more, it's, it's an entity that's more powerful in governments and all that, um, that just ruined, like, the world, and or they that you know one of one of them just went down some non-household name, and then the entire world ends like that. doesn't happen anywhere else, and so that's like the area of the world that really matters. Not like who, who's w- winning in polls. Those this was during like the the Obama and McCain election and all that. Right. I was thinking like none of that matters. Like in relative relatively speaking, like the people who pushed around digital pieces of paper and green and red blinking tickers if they mess up and you work at a footlocker or whatever, and you have nothing to do with it, you're still like, you're going to, your business is going to be affected. You're going to get laid off or um, you're going to get foreclosed on, or you're not going to be able to get credit or whatever it is. Um, But if any, if it happens in any other industry, if Apple were to go out of business, it's going to be catastrophic for, you know, like state of California and factories around the world, but it's not going to take the world down. But so that's when I realized like, um, Just very pragmatically, of course, it pissed me off, but I realized, like, I have to, for the sake of job security, I have to get into a too-big-to-fail bank, because that, like, because that's the only thing that, like, you know, like, they are the perpetrators, and then they say to governments, governments, we messed up, but we need money, so give it to us, and governments were like, okay, and so, of all the jobs that were saved, the jobs that were saved, the only jobs that were saved were the arsonists, right? <laughs> so right. Uh, So, for the sake of, seriously, for the sake of job security, that's how I kind of started to pay attention to finance. Then there's finance and then like the finance industry, and then there's markets. So those are two different things. Then I started to dive into markets, and that's a totally different thing. And that's something that I immediately gravitated towards. Markets, um, so yeah, the finance is like the finance industry, those who work in it, the system and all that kind of thing. That's a very different uh, matter. Markets are extremely fascinating. It's like a daily jigsaw puzzle, right? Of connecting this and that, and it's like global events, and if this happens, and this happens, and kind of knock-on effects, and it, and it's, the markets are also a very fair, um, you know, like, a, a greater, if you will, of, of your, you know, if you, like, t- in terms of, like, meritocracy and all that kind of thing, nothing is more fair than the markets. You're either right or you're wrong. You're gonna, like, and if you're right, you get rewarded monetarily, and if you're wrong, like, you... You get punished. Like, if there's somebody who is, if some hedge fund investor with his own money, if or her own money makes like a billion dollars in a year, they deserve every penny of it, just as they deserve every penny of like if they lost a billion dollars um, of their net worth, they deserve that too. So that's what I, I really liked about markets. So, um, but I still didn't really know anything about anything at all. And I certainly didn't have like the, the, the background, the sort of on paper credentials to join institutional finance. Then, um, 2013, when Abenomics happened, um, that's when I kind of recognized, like, okay, this is this might be like my one, probably long shot, but like my chance to get into finance because in institutional finance um, and get a uh, get into too big to fail bank because, you know, I, I didn't speak Japanese. I lived in New York, you know, I was born and raised in, in in the U.S., but I have a Japanese last name and all that, so I could basically kind of exploit that. So if I moved to Japan, and I knew that there would be a whole bunch of like foreign capital flooding into Japan. Because of Obnomics. so as like a salesperson, if I could just get my foot in the door, I don't care what the product is. I don't know anything anyway; It doesn't make a any difference anyway. So, um, but just help foreigners who want exposure to whatever j- financial product in Japan on the you know boots on the ground. That's what I'll. This is like the one one time only where there's interest in Japan. So I basically, you know, in my very late twenties, um, I kind of, I just uprooted my life and I packed up, you know, like, my, my stuff into a suitcase and just got a one-way flight to, to Narita. And I got wow. here, um, and uh, I, I, I hopped around various capsule hotels. Um, at first this is during the Jugen season, so like, so many of the hotels were like ta- like, the cheap hotels were taken up, so I had to keep moving every every single day. Um, and I just basically had, I, I came here with nothing, I had no, I had literally no place to live, I had no, like, you know, again, f- in I had no job offer, no job, no like like contacts or anything like that. But like barely, barely like able to speak Japanese. Let's just say not like not able to speak <laughs> at all Japanese. Um and and yeah, and so that's what I basically started with. Um and then I just kinda knocked down the doors of any financial institution in you know with a presence in Tokyo and that's that's basically mostly everybody. Um and then uh, you know uh Goldman um of all, of all of them, Goldman was the one who kind of recognized that like like I'm insane in probably a, a good way or at least an interesting enough way to get <laughs> to have to to call me in for an interview. So uh, I interviewed with them, and then I had like twenty something interviews, and then and then next thing I know, I'm sitting at the List of derivatives, futures, and options trading desk at um, Brooklyn Hills, the forty eighth floor. Um, and so wow. that's how I got into finance. Yeah. So and then so then I traded futures and options and so what's great about futures is that it's cross assets so we were mostly doing equity index futures so like nikkei and topics um japanese stocks yeah yeah the 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 nikkei all that kind of stuff but we so we're sitting there talking to like single stock the single stock uh, cash sales traders and then but you're also talking to like the jgb traders uh, because we're trading jgb futures japanese government bond futures yeah um as well as you know, foreign exchange like uh, yen futures or whatever it is, or crude oil or whatever, like the entire kind of universe of green and bl- red blinking tickers, um, we we handled all that. So I got a very like top down macro sort of view. Right. I also got to see you know what like um, then Governor Kuroda, on Halloween of 2014, when he suddenly just out of nowhere blasts this massive bazooka and like the in, enormous amount of firepower that, you know, central banks have or that particular one had.
1: Right. Bank of um, Japan, governor.
0: To, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, giggling while doing so. Um, <laughs> and uh, but that was that was an insane, insane day um, that I, I still remember. And so basically I, I did that. Then I went over to um, Jeffrey's Japan and I did... Sp- Bottom up, kind of single stock um, equity sales, but mostly hedge fund sales. But basically, you know, um, you know, talking to portfolio managers, traders, and all that, trade ideas, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I went over to uh, to the kind of financial media side of of it, if you will, um, to Real Vision or like the financial content creation side of it. Um and I was yeah, how did you get
1: how'd you get connected with Real Vision because um I I didn't realize I mean that's when I first um yeah uh, found out about you and and eventually met you but I didn't realize that you were the only Real Vision person in Japan so how did that come about
0: Yeah um Real Vision at that time so I'd been a subscriber of Real Vision for like a few years at that point um and it's funny actually because the way that I stumbled upon Real Vision was because when I was at Jeffries. There's this guy named David Zervos. He's still there. He's the chief uh, market market strategist. He's like the you know he's like the god there, right? And he he really is kind of like a godlike figure there. And so somebody like me in equity, you know, like uh, equity sales, like hedge fund uh, sales position in Japan, Jeffrey Japan, at like you know like associate VP level. Is not like allowed to go and reach out to him and talk to him, Hmm. but he put out this view about the Bank of Japan. Like he, so he can comment on any market anywhere, like in the the world. And he his focus was Japan and the Bank of Japan and how the Bank of Japan is essentially going to eventually monetize the debt. And so I was like, this is and this is before this was like kind of uh, becoming like more common. He was very early with that, and I was like, this is like freaking fascinating i need to know i need no more like i need to push his clients and all that and so all i wanted to ask him was like what's going to happen to the currency in that scenario in which the bank of japan buys up all of the debt of japan the mass amounts of debt and then just cancels it and says japan owes nothing to anybody hmm. what's going to happen to the currency then right that's the only question i had i asked like i asked other people i asked my managing director i asked other people to ask him, nobody would do it or whatever right and i was like getting very fed up with this like you know the uh, kind of hierarchy of investment banks and all that especially in japan and then um i'm kind of googling around for for like his view on this and i stumble across a real vision promo like a three minute like youtube promo and it's ralpel talking to david servo so that they were friends and he and in the commercial and this is like this is not like the full episode this is like the commercial for the uh, for real vision Re- they're talking about that very view and huh. then Ral says to him, "So what's going to happen to the currency?" And he's gonna—he's like, "It's going to get destroyed." That basically, my point is that um, Real Vision's promo ad got me better access to my <laughs> own internal analyst than I had myself at Jefferies. Yeah. So that's why I was like, "F this!" And like my kind of short institutions, long the individual investors or the self-directed investors sort of thesis um, that I that I lived out. So. um... So yeah, so I basically, um, Real Vision had had rolled out a new kind of experimental product called the Exchange, which is like an internal social network of sorts. And I started just posting stuff there, like just ideas, trade ideas, market observations, and all that. Very prolific on that. Then Ral reached out to me directly and asked me if I want to, if I'd be interested in joining Real Vision to run the Real Vision Exchange. And wow. so I was like, I, I yeah, I'd be honored to mr pal (laughs) i've I've, it's very crazy that to be having a zoom call with you because normally i would watch you on screen and you're talking so that's how i joined that's how i feel right now (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but uh but then yeah I, i then got more into kind of the content side of it because i don't know i guess i've always been a clown by nature I have like a attempted sense of humor. Well, I have a sense of humor, just whether or not people find it funny is, is, up, for, is up for grabs. But
1: um, your, your and... Lex Friedman, I have to say your Lex Friedman impersonation <laughs> is on point.
0: Well, that's easy. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just, just be, you know, like, uh, like wake up in the middle, you know, be, be, be very jet lagged and then, then just talk and you'll be Lex Friedman. It's, right. It's what it is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so so I guess, you know, uh, that plus, like, uh, my my kind of knowledge of finance and all that, um, it's kind of a rare combination for somebody to be able to, I don't know, I don't want to say be funny, but, like, be uh, make finance entertaining, I guess. Mm. So I would just do stupid memes and stuff like that. But I purposely would do that because I'm trying to get people who are no- normally not interested in, interested in something, interested in finance specifically, you know, to to, like, flag something like, hey... Ha, ha ha, although this is hilarious, uh this is actually a big deal, you need to pay attention to it. Hmm. Um, so so yeah, so I started doing that, started making content. Then I went over to um to Blockworks Macro um and I had uh the market depth podcast. My own podcast is basically what, what what I was doing there was uh talking about things that are happening in Asia, but it's not about investing into Asia, it's about global macro markets as a whole and how they're impacted out of events and developments happening out of this region because frankly people in the u.s and in europe um do not get any coverage or exposure as to what's going on with things like what's happening in china what's happening with japan bank of japan and all that and those things absolutely matter um so um and then currently i'm completely independent uh and uh across the spread is the platform it's basically the same concept but i'm just using different mediums so it's not just being um podcasts on youtube or something like that uh you know i do have an episode out We're working on another one you know this just launched um i'm doing more written content um and and kind of other things and trying to make it more interactive um but that's currently where uh where i stand it's extremely extremely long biography sorry about that
1: <laughs> no i love it i love it and congratulations on going independent
0: oh thank you thank you
1: yeah, I, uh, I listened to the third pot, uh, first podcast, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to the second one. Um, you mentioned uh, trying to make things engaging for people who aren't, who aren't uh, necessarily into finance or, or see the relevance of Japan specifically. So I want to go there next. But maybe before that, I'll just ask, how do you define macro? Because it's a word that gets bandied around. Um, but I think uh, a lot of people don't have a real firm understanding of what that actually means. Um, so how, how do you define macro? Wow. That's a brilliant question.
0: <laughs> I'm seriously, I've never not only have never been asked that before, but I've never thought about that before. Okay. Um wow, you're right and you're right too. Everyone has a different definition and people don't know that they have different def- definitions like like me. Um I guess th- because i'm very markets oriented first right so i'm all about what i call green and red blinking tickers right like not the story not the data not the you know inflation reading the whatever whatever what you know i'm just about what are markets doing so i would from that angle and that approach i define macro as macro assets macro asset classes so foreign exchange Equity indices, basically, kind of my, what I just described with my golden job and futures and all that, like um, very kind of top-down, broad-based asset classes. So foreign exchange bonds, sovereign bonds, not individual company bonds or credit or anything like that. Mm. Um, equity indices, you know, what's the Nikkei doing? Not what, like, you know, what is nine nine eight four SoftBank doing or something like that. Mm. Um, Bitcoin is certainly a macro asset. Uh, commodities, um, that's how I would define macro. And then the drivers that move macro. So it's not bottom up single stock picking or, or anything like that. Um, that's kind of, you know, broader macro. Global events uh, that could also impact it, that's all kind of how, how I wrap it to it. But things like the green and red blinking tickers themselves, the markets themselves, and then what impacts those green and red blinking tickers uh, to, to move up or down or not move at all.
1: Yeah, cool. Thanks for that. That's a that that is the be- that's a brilliant question though. I really <laughs> seriously. <laughs> um so your usual audience I think is pretty financially savvy but uh, I think my audience is is less so or at least I, I try to make it for a for a not so financially savvy audience or or people who don't necessarily have a ton of investments that they're watching every day. Um well, we talked a, a bit about this before the show but uh, and you mentioned it in your last answer, but what do you say to someone who who doesn't see the relevance of uh, of investment? Um, let's say first, like someone who's not even into crypto or anything, they don't see the relevance of investment in general, um, or maybe more common is that they, they know they should get into it, but they feel very intimidated by it. Just really broadly speaking,
0: like s- almost everything, almost every issue in the world Really, um, and uh, on on a broad, quote unquote, macro level, as well as on an individual level, and this is, I'm not talking about like, um, you know, like uh, specifically related really to finance, but like issues that everybody faces and then we collectively face, they really do, um, concentrate or boil down in some way or another to an economic angle. Um, right. Like, you know, if it's it's not just your, your job or your salary or something like that, um, it's, uh, an imbalance of resources, um, and, you know, hence, hence wars starting, um, or, uh, you know, lack of opportunity, um, and some wealth divide or generational wealth divide does not have to be rich or poor. It could be generational. It could be, you know, um, and so X, Y, Z, politician gets elected um or whatever it may be like th- they really do boil down to like w- what's the quality of my life like and that's a very much so an economic sort of thing it's not so much like um religious divides or or, or whatever they mean that's so much of that strife is from uh from economics and so and because the world has become so financialized um that's why you do have to understand what's happening in in financial markets like they might just seem like green and um because of people like me who just say say that so nonchalantly <laughs> so I'm guilty of that but um but but it matters because it matters to you it matters to you more than you think um in ways that you don't realize you the individual it matters to us as a collective and how you know collect society within nations amongst nations um and, and all that right like economics the, the economy uh elects elects or reelects or doesn't elect presidents and prime ministers and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's, it will determine the, you know, the quality of life that you have, that your parents and children will have, um, your opportunities going forward, your outlook on life, your kind of daily mood, your overall sort of, you know, overall sort of, I guess, life path in a bigger sense. Like it it just matters on every single sort of facet. Um, so, so that's that's why, and and so much of that hinges on central bankers, for example, like um a very small group of extremely powerful individuals um, and and institutions that make decisions that can really seriously impact all of those things that I mentioned, your individual quality of life as well as the collective uh you know direction of a particular country or world.
1: Yeah, I uh, so I majored in international relations, uh, political science. Uh, but when I came out of it, I kind of, I couldn't shake this feeling that uh, politics is a pastime. Economics is everything. Uh, so I kind of, I realized. <laughs> what kind of that, pastime is that? <laughs> well, uh, maybe pastime is maybe maybe <laughs> pretense is a is a better word. Uh, in many cases, it seems like politics is kind of like a facade that people put on when really economic forces are driving uh, the decisions they're they're driving everything um but so then okay uh it definitely say, too. yeah so say people like they get that it is significant they get that they should be paying attention to it but it just seems so intimidating hmm. how uh do you think it, it does have to be a full-time job, like like someone managing their own investments. You have to basically become uh, an, uh, an investment manager, or is it, po- is it possible to kind of pay a few hours of time a week or, uh, and, and have a decent grasp on what's going on? No, you do not have to be um,
0: a quote-unquote expert because there is no such thing. Like finance, is the, finance the industry, is the only industry in the world that I can think of at least the only profession in the world in which like a portfolio manager that has, you know, like a, a 6% like kind of batting average, if you will, success rate is considered to be like, great. Hmm. If you're like a brain surgeon and like, s- like four out of 10 patients died on you, you would be in jail. Okay. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not success. You have to be batting a thousand that is it right and there are many jobs if you're if you're you know a, the a train conductor zero like 100 out of 100 trains cannot crash <laughs> like like yeah. there's no room for, for error right finance is not like that and what the thing about the interesting thing about like finance and like so-called like financial professionals and all that like yes there are people that are extremely good at like kind of trading or investing or all that but they take in extreme. Like they they've taken more losses than you would know, and that's why they are that good at it. There's like some Michael Jordan quote where I, I'm gonna butcher this, but it's like I have like he kind of lists off all these like terrible stats about him. Like I have like blown like X amount of games. I've missed more free throws than anyone else. I've missed more th- you know this than this. I've missed more layups. And that's why I that's why I am who I am. Right. Mm. Um. So if you're new to investing, first of all, congratulations A good job on the initiative that you're taking and to you know take take hold of your um i will not say your like your own financial destiny but good job before at least uh, you know attempting to do it um i would say like f- at first you would just have to don't read books don't do any of that like that's if you need that just to kind of give yourself confidence a little bit more just to at least get some skin in the game then fine do it but you're not going to learn anything from that you're only going to learn from actual experience um in and of itself And so what I would say is if you're, like, new to investing, just take a very tiny amount of, like, capital that you have, money that you have, pick a stock, pick a whatever it is, some sort of green and red blinky ticker, invest in it, right? And just not for the sake of, like, don't judge yourself on did this, like, go up or down or, like, did did, did I make X amount of money? But more so record or observe yourself. Like, you have to um, know what kind of a an investor that you are are you gonna are you panicking once like the minute that you see like you know red on the screen um are you going to are you do you have the urge to potentially like buy more lower or like all these things there's not a right or wrong way you just have to first find out you what your identity is what kind of personality you have as like an investor that's like step number one that's the that's that's what you have to learn before you have to before you learn the like quote unquote fundamentals of the markets themselves or economics, you have to learn about yourself because ultimately, at the end of the day, markets this is what I always say is that as far as global macro markets and asset classes are concerned, we all get the same um, markets. We all get the same BTC JPY. We all get the same, you know, uh, USD JPY. We all get the same, you know, oil futures or Nikkei index or whatever, right? So, why is it that some people make billions? and other people lose everything and then some on the same exact markets. It's not the markets that we're th- themselves that we're trading or investing in. We're trading or investing ourselves, trading ourselves essentially, right? That's the difference. Um, and so therefore, you don't need to really know about the markets. You need to know about yourself within markets. So that's the very first sort of step. Um, it's kind of a self-reflection thing. Find out what kind of trader you are, what kind of investor you are, what, you know, and, and if it's something that, like, it's giving you like heart attacks just from like a a you know five thousand yen sort of quote unquote investment in one share of Rakuten or whatever. Um, then you should probably hand that off to somebody else. If it's something that you are comfortable with and something that you are actually you know. It therefore, you know, ha- having skin in the game is therefore giving you more and in, in, uh, interest into markets and all that. Then let 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 the chips fall where they may. Go go wherever you know it, it takes you. There is no path. Um, if you want to be just a specifically like a sector expert um, and only you're only investing in you know software as a service stocks or oil and gas companies or something like that, then then fine. Then do that. Um, you don't have to learn about like the 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 telecom sector or credit or private equity or, w- or whatever it is. Um, and 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 zero date, you know, days to expiry options and stuff like that. Just just find out who you are, what your personality is. That's the most important thing. And then keep learning who you are and keep trying to f- find out because that's always going to evolve as as well. Um, so that's what I would say. And then the other thing I would say is there's this kind of standard disclaimer that people give, where like. Um, They see commercials like, talk to a financial advisor or like, this is not financial advice. Talk to a financial advisor. The whole this is not a financial advice thing. Yeah, I agree with that. But then the talk to a financial advisor part. Don't like, no, that's not. (laughs) I, I do not. I think that that is like almost kind of antithetical to the this is not financial advice, like intent. Don't blindly talk to some financial advisor because guess what? They don't know anything either. Okay? They're guessing as much as we, the rest of us are. None of us know what markets are going to do at the end of the day. I was telling you this the other day, um, Brad, but, like, mar- markets are extremely kind of... Um, the reason that you shouldn't be uh, intimidated is because it's a very, very sort of level playing game. Much more than people realize. Because nobody knows anything. Like, even if you're insider trading, you might actually be trading the wrong way. You don't know what the market reaction is going to be. Hmm. Right? So... Um, so every like billionaire all star trader to like the first trade that anyone ever puts on, you don't know what how what the, that's going to end up at the at, at the end of the day, or in one week's time, one month, one year's time, nobody knows. Um, so that's why it's it's very kind of flat across the board. You know, it's a zero sum game. For every gain, there's gains don't come out of nowhere. They come out of somebody's losses, right? Um, that's what zero sum means, right? You your gains. Plus or minus, you know, someone's loss equals a sum of zero. Um, so, um, so what that means is that half of the market participants at any given time are are wrong. And these are supposed to be the smartest people in the world, the the Todai grads and the Harvard grad, you know, Harvard Business School and all that. Okay, if if the financial industry is full of them, then that means half of those people are wrong. any at, at every tick of oil futures or dollar yen or whatever it is, some Ivy League grad is getting it wrong. Um. So, like, that's that's why that's why I love markets. That's why somebody like myself, like I said, I'm a, I'm at the bottom tenth percent of my class in terms of grades. Um, and I've won um, you know, stock picking competitions that that span the entire kind of industry before and it's because like i like i was say like this is what one of my uh my mentors said to me Is like I, sh- I showed him my my trophy that i got that is what i said to you too but like okay so he's like all right so you're you long street smarts and short book smarts is so like that's a good approach <laughs> so um but but yeah like it's markets don't care about your spreadsheet they don't care about your degree they don't care about how much money you have they don't care about how much money you don't have they don't care how markets don't care about how much experience you have markets are just going to do what they do so you have to find out what you are within them and every single day you have to be as humble as you are on your first day of investing as well at the you know then when you are you know uh, ray dalio type of level um should should I get to that um always rem- like just be like kind of never forget that initial humility and uh kind of uh uh i guess what what was the word that you used intimidation um yeah 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 like that's a kind of that's kind of a gift um it's a risk management gift it's a subconscious risk management gift never lose that is what i would say mm. don't think that like the worst thing that could happen to you is you put on your first trade and you make a lot of money that's the worst thing ever because then you're right. gonna think like oh this is easy no you need to learn um, and then the, Sorry, I'm sorry to just keep like kind of I have so many, so many of these sort of like quote unquote advice, advice things. But <laughs> one, one more thing I, I want to say is, um, yeah. there's no such thing as losses um, in markets uh, unless you turn them into losses. In other words, if you bought a stock or something like that and it went down a lot um, and you lost whatever percentage, um, that's not necessarily a loss as long as you have a takeaway from it. If you have a takeaway, if you learned a lesson from it, then it's not a loss. It's tuition. If you don't have a takeaway, then you're only left with the nominal loss, and therefore it's a loss. So if you lose money, don't make it a loss. Make sure that you learn something from it, whatever it is. Make sure you learn as much as you can from it. Get as much for your money as possible. Never make that mistake again. And then in the long run, it'll be, like, good thing I had that, like, you know, trade that I messed up on because I've never since, you know, or learned this about myself or learned this about markets or whatever it is. So always try to, you know, get some tuition out of it. But if you get nothing out of it, then it is isn't an actual loss, right? So you could actually never have a loss, you know, uh, in your entire kind of investing or trading career and only just get smarter
1: and smarter and smarter um, and just
0: hopefully just keep your tuition costs down. (laughs) So.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've certainly had some tuition costs, but I I always kind of think, well, uh, you know, I, I'd rather this happen with say single digits than uh so, you know, maybe I won't make that same mistake with double digits. Uh, I'm glad this happened with triple digits cuz um uh, maybe then I won't make the same mistake with uh with four digits, with five digits. Well,
0: but either way though, it's it's a good thing that like yeah, it's a good thing I didn't make the mistake with like more or whatever, but the important thing is that you learn something from it though yeah not and not, and not like uh not just like oh it could have been worse <laughs> It could have been more you know but uh but yeah like uh, like okay that
1: was a stupid idea or like oh okay so i shouldn't have done that right mm-hmm. so yeah i like uh that you focus on the the well markets are made up of people at the end of the day and and people are made up of psychology um because i think a lot of people Uh, especially if they're getting in through crypto uh, rather than the traditional route, but maybe the traditional route just as much. Um, They hear about it and they think, Oh, okay. This like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to buy it one day, sell it the next day and I'm going to become an investor. And I think a lot of people don't realize like you're, you're jumping into shark infested waters where uh, like people, people do this as a job. They're not just like, checking their phones once in the morning, once in the evening, making a few trades, making a ton of money. Um I think people don't uh, have a good concept of of what they're getting into and um and think like oh I'm going to be an investor now without really knowing what that entails. Yeah, well I mean, I think you're totally right, but as
0: long as you're aware of that though, right? So if you're aware that like yeah, there are there are there's an entire industry of a very handsomely paid industry of people who do this all day, um, and that is what I'm putting my kind of capital up against in a zero-sum game. If you're aware of that and you still want to do it, then go ahead and do that. But if you're not even aware, if like if you think like this is just everyone's like me, I'm just kind of doing you know everyone works on my schedule, like then no, like that's that's not that's not how it's, how it's going to be. But then you'll probably learn that lesson. Like, oh wow, markets move during the day when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> hopefully you'll realize that immediately upon, you know, your like day one of your trading. And then you'll then realize that lesson. And hopefully it won't be too much of a tuition. Um, so that's fine. Like that, but the point is just to get in. Like you don't, don't like watch seminars and read books and all like just get in, period, and figure it out from there. Like you could literally figure out, like, oh, there's such thing as market hours. Okay. That's lesson number one, like,
1: like, you know, um,
0: and then just build up on those lessons, but start off from, start off from nothing.
1: Yeah. How about uh, for people who are just into crypto? uh, What do you think? I mean, I think this past year, we really learned that uh, the uh, traditional finance, the macro, it, it affects crypto. Crypto is not isolated. Um, So, but uh, in your view, why should crypto people care about uh, TradFi? Um, So I'm always kind of fascinated
0: with this because, like, the like, been around a ton of crypto people, you know, at the WebEx conference that you were graciously invited me to. Um, And, I mean, I've, I'm always – I feel like I'm the – well, this is not anything new specific to crypto, but I'm, like, the dumbest person in the room. But, again, that's not specific to crypto. That's just, like, society in general. But um, there are, like, extremely smart people, like, in crypto extremely extremely smart people um and be they developers or whatever and it's very puzzling to me that they don't know kind of even basic fundamentals of of financial markets and what actually moves capital in and out of you know crypto bitcoin whatever it is which is ultimately going to affect the price which is ultimately going to affect the development of the industry and the pace in which it develops um and if it develops too quickly and becomes kind of a you know like ridiculous projects and bubbles and this and that and then it crashes and then kind of goes into winters and all like you're you people are smarter than i am and i don't see how that you're kind of overlooking this so it's, it's always been very puzzling to me my my message is um it's it's Like you're just saying, like, what's my message? Just to crypto people who don't pay attention to finance, like, you know, tradfi on purpose. You mean, or like, who are just not Uh, aware?
1: Yeah, just not aware.
0: Yeah, again, like, if you're really not aware, like, come on, you're smarter than that. That's my message. (laughs) Okay, if if but if you're one of the people who are, and I have yet to meet someone who's like that smart who's really truly unaware. Most of the time, it's they are they are they're aware that like this tradfi, but they. They're choosing not to, they're, you know, to they're choosing to ignore it, right? And what I would say is that that's a very, very bad approach. Um, because first of all, like Brett said, like the things that are there's no such thing as like living in isolation with Bitcoin or crypto or whatever it is, okay? Um, how much capital comes in and out of that, and the, the value of your token or value of Bitcoin or whatever it is. Is extremely highly dependent on just flows of of money, um, and those those are those flows of money are happening at the expense of one another. So people are like selling bonds to buy Nasdaq stocks, or or vice versa, or it could be any sort of you know you know path or combination of whatever it is. But it's all interconnected, and it's not it, there is no like crypto isolation right there is at one point it's some sort of interface of turning fiat money into crypto and in and out right and so that that because of that mechanism because that ha- ha- like happens it's it's an asset class that is very much part of the world of financial market asset classes it just is um you, you could be like anti the system i get that but you have to understand how that system works. Like what I was saying was that if you're going to be disrupting, right? If you're if you're trying to disrupt a system, you have to understand what it is that you're disrupting, right? Like if you're so if you're here if you're in crypto to disrupt the financial the tradfi system, how are you? How can you possibly do anything if you don't even know what it is that that you're disrupting? And then, meanwhile, you also have like infiltration from tradfi um, mm-hmm. into crypto, and that's it's becoming, you know, tradfiified, if you will, right? Bitcoin um, uh, futures, Bitcoin ETFs, uh, ETF back, futures back ETFs, right? Like uh, I was saying to you about how the kind of the one of the the, the core principles of Bitcoin of of it being a limited supply, like okay. That's fine for the underlying asset, but if you have futures on Bitcoin and derivatives on Bitcoin and ETFs on Bitcoin and all that um, you know not, not not like the physical ones but like the especially the futures back ETFs futures back ETF on Bitcoin is basically you can make an unlimited amount of open interest. you can create unlimited amounts of like contracts of, of th- these derivatives that um, you know I- instead of owning Bitcoin so you have to be aware that there's kind of this. I don't. I don't know what the word would be. Like a like a side loophole or whatever of mm. getting kind of. Around. This is not like on purpose of trying to get around like the limited supply thing. I mean, it happens to gold, It happens to commodities and all, and all that. Um, but d- derivatives, listed derivatives, um, are massive in size of notional relative to the size of the actual underlier. Uh, themselves, and that's happening to Bitcoin. And so, if you're thinking that there's going to be a whole ton of institutional capital coming in, well, they might just be playing that side game on like the derivatives market, and it, it, they might not ever come in, uh, you know, on exchange and start to to buy um, and and hold it in some some you know cold storage wallet somewhere as a buy and hold or something like that. They might just be getting their directional exposure in this other tradfi market. So you have to understand those things because you're. If you're basing your kind of business model, your calculations based on this is an X supply, like limited supply of, and therefore, if X Y Z happens, this a, and on, and you're unaware that there's this giant side bet happening alongside it, I mean, you're it renders your your kind of vision and your modeling useless. Yeah.
1: So you have to. That's why you have to be aware of that. Yeah, it's a it's a huge question. Like the current system. Uh, is built, I think it's fair to say, built on the U.S. dollar. So even though there's all these instruments um, built on top of it, and like you say, the, the value of those is, is much bigger than the underlying um, dollar, say. Uh, when, when push comes to shove, when there's a disaster, the, the U.S. government can print more dollars, whereas they can't m- print more Bitcoin. So it is, it is interesting to think about what, uh, what that would mean for the system. But also, like you say, I, I think, uh, yeah, like like we saw with gold, a lot of people think um, there's a lot more so-called paper Bitcoin, uh, paper gold, like claims on gold, than there is actual gold backing it. Could we see something similar with Bitcoin? I think it's uh, it's an open question.
0: Yeah, the cause the the you know the issue with that is that there's just a there's so much more um, kind of yeah i don't want to call it fake gold like just non-physical gold so like traded gold green red blinking ticker gold be it futures etfs or whatever out there then there are gold so if everybody who owns that want to claim their gold there isn't enough um out there and that's i think that's already probably the case for for bitcoin in terms of like futures open interest and all that right Mm. but like yeah the the derivatives market and all that It's something like $500 trillion worth of derivatives outstanding, um, total derivatives outstanding. It's it's like 5x global GDP. There's basically more – this is not going to make sense to people, but there's more in notional amount of total derivatives outstanding than there is money in the world. Meaning people are making up products out of thin air with money that literally does not exist – Um, and, but they have, they have implications on the, the price and the activity and the price action and all that of your underlying thing. Right. So, so there's that, um, then there's whole, the the entire kind of economic and policy angle of it, um, of, um, if Bitcoin is going to be an inflation hedge, for example, um, you have to know what the inflation rate is. You have to know what's going to move that. You have to know, like, when are people going to react to that? You have to know all all those sort of um kind of macroeconomic factors and and the policymakers the bank of japan the 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 federal reserve and all that um what's going to cause people to desire to you know to, to 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 get into uh or out of potentially you know um uh you know your your asset class your your coin or bitcoin or whatever it is like that that part it really really does matter um you know, probably more than anything else, um, in terms of, um, you know, the uh, interest and activity in and appreciation of the asset.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about the other way, um, the TradFi view of Bitcoin? You mentioned you see Bitcoin as a macro asset uh, among other um, much more established uh, traditional assets, but would you say that's a common view? Um, people in Bitcoin are always. Always wondering what the what the institutional view is but uh what do you think? I, have, I have no idea what the institutional view is i th- i think the institutional view i think
0: it's um especially if you work at j p morgan is um it's kind of like probably living in like Putin's russia or something like that um if you are not a fan of like Putin, you kind of whisper.
1: But you don't say it out loud, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, didn't he say he would fire any trader he he knew he, owned he, Bitcoin? He,
0: yeah, he 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 did he did say that. He then kind of took that back. But then I think just yesterday he was once again he was uh, at at the Senate hearing talking shit about um like all crypto and like it should right. be banned and this and that. It's all a scam. I don't know, I don't know what his problems. I think I think that he just said it once and he's like stubborn about it. Um, but um. Yeah. So, what I would say, I guess, would be, well, your your question was, what what would I say to the like like those those people, like fi- finance people, yeah, who yeah. have an interest in Bitcoin, or, yeah, or who I, I... who are brushing off, yeah, 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 the um, ones who
1: are brushing it off.
0: Yeah. If you're if, okay, so if you're an anti Bitcoin person, right, um, and you work in finance, especially if you're working in finance, um, look, if you're if you're like actually a serious investor then that means that you subscribe to, like, rule number one, which is to diversify your portfolio of assets. So that means that you really do... You have to own... You have to own, like, even a tiny percentage, but, like, a meaningful percentage. Like, uh, not like a 1% sort of allocation. You you need to own, like, a whatever it is. Some double-digit percentage allocation into Bitcoin. um, Because... Simply, it doesn't matter what your view view is on it or your feelings or whatever, simply because it is a monetary system that is not part of the current monetary system of, of sort of, you know, fiat assets, right? So if you own stocks and bonds and currencies, commodities and all that kind of thing, if you think you're diversified, yeah, you're diversified within like the fiat system but you need to also diversify within monetary systems and so get out of the current sort of central banking landscape that we are all, you know, living in um kind of under the radar or otherwise. Um and you ha- you have to own it for that reason. And it doesn't matter like what the price does, it doesn't matter what like if it plummets 90% or if it goes like a 1000x higher just for the sake of the current monetary system—if you have all your eggs in that basket—like uh, uh, you're go- like you're you're not pre- you're not practicing like kind of first principles investing. Um, it's extremely hypocritical. All right. Um, then the other thing I would say too is that never before in any of our lives that are currently alive today uh, have we ever witnessed the birth of a genuine new asset class before, okay? So we have stocks like equities, fixed income, you know, bonds, debt. Um, we have, you know, commodities and currencies, and and, all, and those are kind of like the the, the the major asset classes and all that, right? Um, and they've been around for centuries. Some of them have been around for millennia. Crypto was an entirely new thing. So, I once again, I don't care what your feelings are about it. You have to have personal exposure in what it's like to um, witness or to you know kind of s- s- watch like a nascent asset class be like born and then develop and how it kind of ev- evolves. It doesn't matter how what the path is, but you need to have your skin in the game to that because if you're choosing to sit that out and that like not le- just learning lesson but that experience you're beyond a clown to me like you should not be managing like whatever it is that you're managing sort you know financial assets so anyone who's basically choosing the path of ignorance or letting feelings get in the way of something like that uh, instead of recognizing the once in many lifetimes opportunity that we're fortunate enough to to have if you're choosing to ignore that finance person like Please, please don't talk to me. (laughs) Like uh, you're gonna make you're gonna make me more stupid, and I'm trying to be smarter, a little bit smarter each day, and you're gonna detract from that. So, Um, but yeah, that's so that's what I would say. Like you really do have to own it for the sake of diversification, and for the sake of your like, we're never gonna know. You know. like we're never gonna like we've never seen an asset class being born for, and I would say that we're probably not gonna. It's probably not gonna be the last one either. Maybe in our lifetimes. And so when the next one happens, some whatever other asset class it was, you better be like, well, it's a good thing back in like you know the twenty twenties or whatever that I was directly involved in that because I now I know uh, you know like could draw parallels to that process and this and that hmm. um, rather than being a novice then. So yeah.
1: When it comes to Bitcoin, do you think it's ignorance, or do you think they actually see it as a threat to the existing system, and and that's why they want to? They, Jamie Jamie they, Diamond they avoid know. it. They
0: um. You mean J- Jamie Diamond or Elizabeth Warren? Which who who's who's they? Which, uh, let's say they?
1: Jamie uh, Diamond. Do you think he he sees it as a threat?
0: No, actually, I think that. I here's what I think. I think that so people in the private sector, so people in Tradify in the institutional private sector, um, they're too arrogant to recognize it as a threat, hmm. and they're and going even further, they're too arrogant to quote unquote waste their time with it. Hmm. Why should I care about some sub one trillion dollar, you know, as a uh, as a class or whatever? um i i make enough money or sorry they'll never say i'll make enough money, but i make a shitload of money um doing you know xyz moving digital pieces of paper around the world in whatever you know uh nonsense role that i'm playing um in in this in this institutional world this is like like kindergarten like playground stuff i think that that's what they think that like disrupt like, please mm. don't don't even waste some time with it. I think that governments um, probably don't currently. Again, it's an arrogance thing too. Especially in the United States, we're in the United States dollar. We will never like they you know they, they the the Federal Reserve, the the U.S. Treasury, and and Americans just in general, the U.S. dollar will never be unseated sort of thing um, by other currencies. If that's their view, then they're never gonna then they're gonna think like well, it's never gonna be unseated by a Bitcoin or whatever. But, um, mm. but I think that they're probably a, they'll at least not be arrogant enough to completely brush it off, as in like they'll f- look for or find or legitimate or otherwise um you know nefarious aspects to it um and to therefore try to regulate it for for whatever reason um uh and and so at least but at least they are paying attention for, for better or for worse but i don't think that the yeah, the institutional the institutional ones that recognize it have jumped over to work there i
1: think so right yeah 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 we but, are seeing more and more of that but
0: jamie diamond is not shaking in his boots i don't think um whether sure. or he should be um is a different question but
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah yeah I have to ask what do, what do you think? Uh, I mean you mentioned like allocation but uh do you see it as something uh like very disruptive or just a uh, a new a new asset uh that becomes one of many? Um I don't think that it's it will be dis- I don't think it's disruptive so I own I
0: I own bitcoin um and I I don't see it as disruptive per se. I would I see it again. I'm taking more of like the hedge angle. So like I I bought in at like I allocated a sizable like my first stake in it was 2020 pandemic times uh in May or June um and it was like 9500 was my kind of average price and that's when I allocated like you know like a significant percentage of my net worth not like majority or anything like that but like a, a meaningful position um and then i got what a 6x return on but i took back my original principle out so now i own what i own for for free essentially and so now i don't care if i have like a net worth of, of a 70 vol asset <laughs> um but um the way that i i see it is i think that the f- current system is going to disrupt itself or it's going hmm. to implode upon itself and so therefore it'll be bitcoin is a but a potential sort of it's it's a hedge it's something that is not connected to the central bank printing press system um and so if you want to talk about like disruption as in like things that won't like cr- crumble to the ground alongside everything else and there and remain standing if that's the definition of like being uh, being a disruptor Like, like, uh, you know, kind of uh, looking around, like a dusting oneself off. I was like, this carnage everywhere. Then I guess, yeah, it's disruptive. But like, Hmm. it's—I don't think that it'll proactively disrupt. But I think that it's 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 disruptive, quote unquote disruptive characteristics will um, emerge when there's like serious crisis, not when there's nine percent inflation. Uh, like um, I mean when there was like ju- like major countries defaulting and and things like that
1: right right uh, yeah, that's a great perspective, and um, you mentioned the system crumbling, so even though''m uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I'm i'm uh taking advantage of your time i I, I do want to talk about uh Japan specifically since that is your wheelhouse um, so you talk these days you talk a lot about central banks. Uh, especially the bank of Japan. Um, first of all, I'm just curious, like, was that always the case where central banks, such a crucial ro- uh, part of your work, or is that like a, a recent trend where central banks are, it just seems like they're, they're calling all the shots.
0: Yeah. So, um, again, just this to go back to my background, I was unaware at the time, but I'm been I've been living the last decade in Tokyo of my life because of actions of a central bank. <laughs> mm. Um so you know and so I guess even from that time yeah um it was at least at the, it was the impetus for my for my move here but yeah I I got in um and like I said like when when governor Kuroda shocked markets with his shock QQE part 2 qualitative and quantitative easing part two on Halloween day of 2014 and the Nikkei blessed like 5% higher, higher into the close, which was just like only an hour left at that point. And then after market, another like 5%. uh, I think that's when GPIF came in to say like, they're going to allocate more. Uh, But that that's when um, I, I really saw uh, the power of, or the kind of, yeah, like the, what the, the unusual behavior, we'll call it that way, of specifically the the Japanese central bank, the Bank of Japan, hmm. uh, as well as its global influence. So I re- like I recognize this power of central banks from really from 2008, but then I recognize specifically the Bank of Japan's uh, uniqueness. Um, from that point forward and then when yield curve control came in this was actually when i was in the i was at, at jeffrey's nobody knows what the, what the hell that was and so i had to really kind of look into it myself and so i've been looking i've been following it since its, ince- its inception this whole experiment and what's 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 been happening uh, as a result and then um and and yeah like i i what i always say is like if i was trading out of brazil or norway or whatever i would still have my eyes on the bank of japan because it is the most consequential to markets um especially because very few people are paying attention to it relative to its importance everyone's very fed obsessed um i'm not saying the fed's not important it is the most sort of important overall but in terms of like moving markets and all that kind of thing um it is absolutely the bank of japan and also because the bank of japan is the leader in amongst the central banks uh, in terms of policy experimentation Right, because Japan, as a society, as a country, is, you know, more elderly and is in far more debt than everyone else. But everyone else is still going in the same path as Japan, unavoidably. De- demographics, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Um, it's just that Japan—it's not like it's not—they not, don't—they don't want to be, but Japan ha- has to lead, and so therefore everything that Japan does in terms of policy, especially monetary policy, is going to be radical and experimental and you know irresponsible and all that kind of thing. But they have no other choice but to be at the front of the line, going into like the jungle, you know, with a machete, like kind of in in, in no man's land. So um, the Bank of Japan is the global central bank experimentation laboratory right like like yield curve control the current policy ben bernanke ex uh, fed chair ben bernanke actually helped design that he flew to tokyo in September, in summer of 2016 he helped design yield curve control um hmm. and then that was rolled down because the bank of japan is the world's policy experimentation laboratory this is where every other central bank is watching to then see what to do or what not to do you know, like uh, yield curve control happens. Reserve Bank of Australia then did yield curve control for like a year and a half. Um, people are talking about like that happening in the U.S. sometime. Maybe it might, it might, it might not. But if it does, they're going to look at the precedents that the Bank of Japan has set and what to do and what not to do and all that kind of thing. Um, so that's why it's, it, it's the Bank of Japan is the most important um, central bank because of the precedents it sets and because of the impact that it has. Um, and also because Japan as uh, as a nation, is the world's largest foreign investor into fixed income, and so that means that Japan deploys more capital overseas into sovereign government bond markets, including the United States Treasury, uh, uh, Treasury market, and that's why Japan is the largest foreign creditor to the United States. The reason that that's happening is because interest rates in Japan are extremely low, and Japanese citizens are elderly, cash-rich, yield-starved, and so they are being forced out uh, to f- you know, hunt for yield somewhere, anywhere, and they're probably in your bond market wherever you are in the rest of the world. Um, and so what happens to Japan's central bank monetary policy um, and interest rate policy and currency markets and all that is going to have an impact on the decisions that the world's largest foreign fixed income investor is going to take. Um, and so for that reason, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely important. And the fact that people aren't really covering it as much as they should is still astounding to me. I flagged the Bank of Japan, uh, on Real Vision, like in my Real Vision video in January of 2022, saying like, this is going to be like a Bank of Japan year. Watch out for the central uh, you know, like if Bank of Japan lists you a curve control. Like it's going to have implications, this and that, um, and yeah, this is still continuing. Um, and so, so like, I I don't care what the Fed is doing. Like literally, I don't care because at first, like, there are way too many eyes on it. So it's not like I'm not gonna know, right? But um, currently at this moment, as especially, and I'm, I'm working on this piece that I'm gonna release uh, in in v- very short time. But um, the reason the, the Bank of Japan matters the most in terms of m- the reason it's the most market consequential is because the last year and a half, two years, every central, every, basically every major central bank of the world has been very active in trying to fight inflation, and they've been increasing interest rates and tightening uh, monetary policy, while the Bank of Japan was absolutely standstill. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which that in itself made Bank Japan, therefore also at that time the most significant. The fact that it was like still while everyone was like you know in going one directionally like uh, more hawkish. All right, well now we are at the basically the tail end of that of the policy hiking. Okay like can can you get like a, another hike or two out of the fed or the ecb yeah fine and it doesn't matter because they just ripped interest rates 500 basis points like higher in the span of a year and a half they're a, at the finish line yeah. yeah they're basically at the at the interest uh, the basically at the the finish line all these other central banks but the, they're but while that's happening the bank of japan is now starting to become active it's like you've woken like a like a sleeping giant and now they're Actively changing and experimenting with new, you know, policies and trying to unwind yield curve control and all that, um, and so for that reason alone, because nobody else is doing anything and Bank of Japan is active, that's that's a very simple reason why the Bank of Japan is the most market consequential. Um, hmm. For for that reason, yeah, but as as well as like the actual reasons, but if anything else, you know, if nothing else, just that simply that. BOJ is active, everyone else is on hold.
1: What do you think markets are going to respond to? Right. Okay, let me see. This is going to be a real challenge for me, but let me see if I can kind of break this down uh, in my own head uh, and maybe also for listeners. So, um, okay, so pretty much all governments are borrowing money. They do this by issuing bonds, uh, which have an interest rate to attract... uh, people to buy those bonds, buy the government debt. Um, the, governments the becoming, and say
0: people for, for for lending money to them.
1: Yeah. 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 Governments get more and more in debt, uh, especially if their economies are not growing. Japan uh, being kind of uh, the, the forerunner in this process where their economy is stagnant. So their debt is growing and growing. Um, so then uh, they implement this policy yield curve control, which is, if I understand it right, it's that uh, they're going to keep interest rates on uh, their bonds below a certain level uh, rather than rather than let them freely float based on the market demand for the bonds. Um, and they're going to do this by uh, the central bank buying the bonds if they have to, rather than just seeing if there's other investors out there who want to buy the bonds Is that like a oversimplified but somewhat fair description of yield it's curve control per,
0: I think it's perfectly uh, quote unquote simplified I think it's no that's basically that's basically what it is it's yield curve control is um, okay so when you just, like you just like you said just like you said all right so you, you have a, if you have a government that is spending more than it is taking in in terms of like tax revenue or whatever it is and that's basically most governments now. Um, you know, and you have a deficit, right? Um, In order to make up for, like, so you're spending, you know, uh, X amount, you know, and you're taking in X minus 20% of that, right? That 20%, you have to borrow, right? To pay for cops and firefighters and, uh, you know, government official salaries and, like, you know, like streetlights and whatever, and military and social security and, and stuff like that um and pensions and all that stuff okay so you, where are you gonna get that you have to borrow that so you borrow that from investors um and like i said you, you get paid a yield or you have to pay um an interest rate um and the thing is that if there are if there are less buyers like there's if there's less demand for that debt or if there's less be- people willing to lend you money, or if you have very bad credit profile, um, if people don't think that you're going to get your, you know, their money back, they're going to demand a higher and higher interest rate. Same thing as like, you know, your personal credit or whatever it may be, um, or going to like a loan shark or something. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so Japan currently is the most indebted country in the world by far. 250% debt to, debt to GDP. So for every you know, you know Ichimong that japan makes in gdp it is it has an outstanding debt of nimango sen um so japan must borrow money um and japan's therefore japan's like the cost of japan japan to borrow money it should be higher than everybody else because japan mm. has the worst credit profile like you're not gonna right. you're you're risking getting your like you're not you might not get your money back if you lend it to japan because where they don't have like they're all they can do is just keep borrowing money they're paying you back with more borrowed money like kind of very much ponzi ish so they're not growing their way out of it there's no, no innovation technology kind of thing coming out of japan in which they're able to so like japan interest rates i don't know where the fair value should be but they should be way higher than everyone else well where are they now well, currently, the United States government gets to borrow money for, for one year. It costs them about 5% to do so, to borrow money for one year. That is the risk, global risk-free United States government, Okay, 5% to borrow for one year. The Japanese government, the world's most indebted in the world, gets to borrow funds for 10 years out at less than 1% to do so. How is that possible? It's possible because of the central bank the bank of japan the bank of japan is artificially capping the l- interest rate level at a certain specific like level like, currently like they just made an adjustment to it so that there is no specific level but it used to be you know about 0.25 percent you know a quarter a quarter of a percent or then a half percent then to one percent and now it's basically around like they're keeping ba- basically around one percent um to, to borrow money for for 10 years out 10 year jgb yields Um, Now, the insane thing about that is that, like you said, markets or like investors are supposed to determine what that interest rate level is. But the Bank of Japan is artificially holding down what that level is. Um, And so when it comes to specifically Japan's monetary policy, um, the reason that Japan is not like a North Korea type of... Country, as in like living standards, and has like very, very, very nice living standards. You and I live here, it's very beautiful, it's wonderful here. The reason that society has not fallen apart in Japan is because of, for better or for worse, it's because of the Bank of Japan and their policy. If not for the Bank of Japan buying up, um, or essentially lending an unlimited amount of money to the Japanese government, who is extremely broke and needs this um and a quarter of the japanese government's budget goes to just servicing you know um debt you know in and of itself
1: hmm.
0: um at rock bottom interest rates at, at, that, at that that was issued at rock bottom interest rate, if not for the bank of japan's existence let alone their you know funding of the government indirectly but nonetheless the, it's clearly what they're doing japan, japan does not have the government would not be able to turn the lights on, literally, in their buildings. Like, they're, they're forget about, like, um, is there going to be enough, like, pension money in, like, ninking and stuff like that? No, there's going to be none, none of that, right? And if Japan had interest rates currently where the risk free United States Treasury uh, has to borrow to, to uh, or has to pay in order to borrow, that, that would be more than 100% of the entire budget of, of Japan that would go just strictly to servicing existing debt not a right. single like in like nothing else could be paid for um so it, it the the role of the bank of japan yes is to set interest rates and yes it's to you know tackle inflation blah blah blah. the role of central bank in japan specifically is to make sure that the government does not become insolvent because without it it would be that's what's important that's what's critical about that weird looking brown building in in the Nihonbashi area um yeah, that's... very close
1: to my office. I walk by oh, it. Oh, is it? I, I ride by it every day on the way to work. Actually,
0: I mean, it's it's very regal looking. You know, it's cool. It's a cool building. Yeah, but,
1: like stone.
0: That's that's like what for. Like you can blame the central bank governor themselves, like San, Wita San, um, you know, whoever whoever it may be. But like the institution itself. Uh, it, I mean it's it's stuck it's permanently kind of stuck this way like japan cannot have market-based interest rates and japan cannot have afford to not have the bank of japan period we can tax all of us at more than 100 percent. japan does not have the money to keep existing this way and it's just going to get worse and worse as more and more of the population gets more elderly they they are not contributing to the tax base and instead they are uh kind of a i don't want to call it burden but they are a um an expense uh to the government rather than you know revenue for the government um Hmm. and and these are like the inevitable demographics of japan and so there is no other choice but to just keep on for the for the central bank to just keep on buying jgbs and more jgbs that have to be issued to service other existing jgbs and everything else that japan must do um in terms of that and that really annoys me that's why it annoys me about like you know what she does talks talks about like uh tax cuts or you know forty thousand yen to like households or whatever and like where in the hell do you think that money is coming from like your generation is not going to be paying for that that is us who is like you're putting that on our credit cards like i'm not talking about like she does specific like policies himself i'm talking about anybody who does this he's just is the latest one to do this but like when you do that you are it's one thing if you're like you know using secret corporate money to fund your campaign and all that kind of thing it's another if you are like having my future self pay for your current um approval ratings like to get a boost in them Hmm. unacceptable especially with like the amount of debt that the Japan already has that is saddling uh, and and killing the sort of animal spirits of the youth in Japan.
1: Wow. <laughs> sorry for the, sorry for the rant, but yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I love it. Um, okay. So just kind of to, to round out that um, explanation. So the, the bank of Japan, they have to keep interest rates for the japanese government low because so much of uh, the government's expenses are already going to just paying um, uh, interest on their outstanding debt if the interest rates go any higher um, the government's not going to have any money left over for anything else
0: well yeah but the government currently does not have enough money to just behave as a normal government you know uh, to to do its basic operating costs the government does not have enough money for it. so it has to keep borrowing money over and over again every year right and so therefore it needs to keep borrowing it at as low of a borrowing cost as possible because if it, right. if they were to borrow at 30% or something like that then that's going to eat up the entire that's then it has to borrow even more at 30% and 50, 50% and then it's you know so it needs to just artificially cap government borrowing costs down and it also owns more than the bank of japan also owns more than half of the outstanding debt of the japanese government so essentially the if you want to combine them the bank of japan and the government as as sort of one the japan essentially is owes itself money
1: right and for a long time a lot of people said well that's why there's this huge debt but it's not a problem because japan owes it to itself but then this past year, we we kind of saw the, the rubber hit the road where because Japan, Bank of Japan couldn't raise their rates, whereas banks all over the world were raising their rates because, uh, to, like you said, to fight inflation, uh, a lot of the, the money flowed, say, from the yen to the dollar. And we saw the yen weaken from from 110 to 150. Um, <laughs> is, that a, is that a fair description of... Of yeah, that mechanism.
0: Yeah, the so the well the reason for that, uh, yeah, I mean, so currencies, currencies are basically pair trades, and in, in, in other words, you can't just buy just the yen or just the British pound or just the U.S. dollar. There's a sell part to it too, right? Um So if that's why it's USDJPY, if you're buying US, if you're long USDJPY, you're buying. United States dollars, but you're selling yen in order to buy that. If you're, you know, selling EUR JPY, you're selling euros and you're buying yen with that, right? So there is no buying just like a a, a currency. So there are pair trades, and th- and so the behavior of a pair trade is dependent on. It's not. It's not like a stock or a single sort of asset. It could be the JPY side that's moving, or it could be the USD side that's moving um so you know exchange rate levels and all that, that that it's it really is it's international foreign exchange it's an international market um that's what's interesting about foreign exchange or fx markets is because like you have that other side to kind of keep the other one in check i suppose to a certain extent but um but that's also uh the the way that the current the currency pair pair trades currency pairs move usd jpy or whatever is also a function of interest rate differences so if the u.s has uh, interest rates that are very high and japan has artificially capped low interest rates then the u.s interest rates are much more attractive at four percent or five percent or whatever and so you will sell yen and you will buy u.s dollars so that you can invest in a higher yielding currency um and then if they go back down and then so they kind of fluctuate that's why usd jpy kind of moves more or less correlated with Ten-year U.S. Treasury yields um, and stuff like that too, um, so so that's that's how that kind of general relationship and price action um, would work um, for 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 the time being. Um, but then you could also get into situations where you're like Argentina, Zimbabwe, or something like that, where you just have lost control and you're 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 printing many many zeros on like you know <laughs> on your currency. We're not there yet, but the, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a dynamic that I had no idea about before last year. The, uh, the way that interest rates interact with exchange rates. And I think I mean, just talking about like the relevance of, of finance for, for the average person or even the, the average uh, Bitcoin investor, crypto investor, I think most of us had, had no idea about the role of central banks and and currency exchange rates and uh, yeah we saw for those of us who are paid in in yen or, or holding a significant amount of yen we just saw that chop uh, like a third off uh, just based on those dynamics well it, uh, yeah but if you're staying in Japan I guess it doesn't really
0: matter this is what you and I are talking about right but like if you're from the US if you want to go back to the US the US just got 30% more expensive yeah um, if you got paid in dollars and a lot of my reviews in dollars, it's basically like getting a raise for not, not doing anything different. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, to, to the point of like what we were saying, talking about before to people who are not invested at all and who are in cash, especially in Japan. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, like, but like, you're not, you're never not invested. So if you're saying like, uh, I'm not going to be, I don't, want to take market risk um it's too kind of you know i don't i don't do that it's not necessarily people were saying like it's gambling or whatever but people were just saying like i'm conservative i just want to stay in cash i don't like you know taking market risk and all that okay cash is an asset class cash is being in a position if so if you're just going to if you're there's no sitting out of markets okay like if you're in cash that is a market position. You are long JPY. And if you are long JPY and you're 100% concentrated long JPY over your assets,
1: it's
0: a very bad idea to be 100% concentrated in anything, be it 100% concentrated Bitcoin or Microsoft stock or whatever, and it includes JPY. But if you happen to be long JPY and only invested in JPY because you are um, don't want to take market risk and don't want to lose money, You just, as Brad said, you just took a 30% hit against, you know, U.S. dollars, against basically the rest of the world. Um, And if you think that, well, I don't, that doesn't matter for me because I'm in Japan. And so I, there is no exchange rate fluctuation within Japan. Uh, I buy my, you know, like groceries and my whatever, the konbini and whatever, right? Okay, but your TEPCO bill went up a ton last year in 2022 and 2023 because Japan imports so much. Japan doesn't have any natural resources. Japan doesn't Japan imports so much of its food and so much of its energy and all that. And so you don't get also you don't get the choice of like n- only being domestically domestic sort of transaction based and all that. Like no, like you're you're paying for higher uh energy bills and all that because there is an exchange rate, you know, component to that that that's that's affecting you. So uh, if you want to be not in like the stock market and all that kind of thing, that's totally fine. But don't say that like I'm conservative and therefore I'm going to be in cash and then just be in strictly yen. If you want to be in cash, sp- fine, but split that up into just do like one quarter, one quarter, one quarter. U.S. dollars, euros, British pound, Japanese yen, but not like all concentrated into one thing because you'll get insane moves like 2022. Like that was that really killed a lot of people um yeah you know like it, it really did like it's, if you get like like you said it's if you're getting paid again and you live somewhere else you're getting a 30 you got a 30 percent cut to your to your paycheck for for you know things out of your control out of your control if you were if you were not you know proact- proactively or uh aware of that kind of stuff right so, um, so yeah, you 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 are always invested in something. So there's no such thing as I'm not like I don't take market risks or like you don't have a choice. I'm sorry that you you don't, but we no, none of us do, especially you know, especially in 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 this country with with the yen as as volatile as um as it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it it just started plummeting right before we started this conversation. Do, well, USD did, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That I mean, but that's. Like I honestly, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that, like, stuff like that. Like, don't worry about like short term fluctuations, but also be aware that things can move very quickly. Dollar yen moved thirty percent in what? It wasn't even over the year. It was from what was it like April till September? It went from one fifteen to one, you know, one fifty. Yeah. Um So that's annualized. You know, that's like what seventy percent. Uh, of, of like a, of a move which is it's it's insane right and this is we're talking about like you know dollar yen usd jpy was a, a single digit on the floor like low volatility asset class or or the current it never moved and then suddenly it, it does right so um these things could happen and it can it can seriously impact you and that's why you need to and you're never going to know what's going to happen so you ahead of time need to be prepared for that allocated to that um are allocated accordingly um and uh and all that what can i just say one thing too that i want to talk uh to you about on on this podcast because i know this is a bitcoin podcast um so there's something that i think that big like bitcoin people maybe kind of overlook a lot um in terms of the price action or the why something goes up it's everyone kind of i think they're looking at it uh, understandably so naturally so from a um adoption sort of perspective um and the advantages of it and and so that's why people you know are you know if, if there are net net if society sees it more advantageous then there will be more money flowing into it um and and sort of vice versa whatever i think that it's really also critical to um look at it from a a the safe haven haven angle so if the reason that I went long like I said um B- Bitcoin like I a- allocated like a significant percentage of um my you know my portfolio to it in uh May of twenty 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 2020 was because I was watching the price action correlation of Bitcoin against the Turkish lira. Um and hmm. Turkish lira was uh, like basically melting down at that point and it was uh he- heavily melting down. And actually, if you look at like so, if you look at um, you know, March twenty twenty, March twenty twenty was a month in which like every single market everywhere just crashed, right? COVID. Yeah. Except for uh, oh, again, okay, so so March twenty twenty, everything crashed, right? Then in April twenty twenty, everything rebounded and then rallies, right? Because central banks mm-hmm. came in with liquidity, and so April twenty twenty, everything is rallying, 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 except for two, two green and red blinking tickers that I noticed on my screen. One of them was BTC USD, which kind of hmm. just stayed flat for like that summer. Strangely, while everything else, every single stock market in the world, every like, you know, kind of like risk asset, risk on sort of thing, bonds ripping, everything. And then the other thing is the the lira, USD TRY. Okay. TR, TRY is the, you know, is the Turkish lira. So USD TRY. Yeah. Those two were dead flat right after that, like, spike down. And... I found that very kind of curious, and then I looked into it more. And basically, what I came, what I noticed was that like, so Turkey was a very early uh, and advanced, uh, you know, adopter of Bitcoin in that in that in the Eurozone sort of area, um, and the Turkish lira was like on its, uh, you know, third phase of melting down over the last you know two or three years or so. And there were a bunch of people, the, the citizens of Turkey were basically fleeing the lira and getting into anything, gold, whatever. And one of those things that they got into was Bitcoin, BTC, TRY. Hmm. And they weren't necessarily buying Bitcoin. They were getting the hell out of the lira. They were fleeing. They're like refugees hmm. almost, right? Um, and th- when I saw that and I'm watching the CBRT, this you know, Central Bank Republic of Turkey – um, and the, what they're doing and watching Erdogan and firing one central banker after another because he has a very, uh, like, uh, inexplainable sort of, you know, backwards concept of understanding of, of how monetary policy works. He thinks that yeah. high, you know, interest rates uh, cause inflation when it's the other way around. <laughs> and so he kept on cutting rates when – and so basically he destroyed the currency and Turks flood, in, flood, like flood into uh, Bitcoin, BTC. And hmm. so that's what actually got it to pop out of what people look at as 10,000 USD and it's a technical thing. Like it's not it, it's you have to look at it from that flight angle. Another thing another kind of re, most recent example is if you look at price action of the Israeli shekel when that attack and and from Hamas happened. And then shortly thereafter, when it was like, okay, we're going to amass 300,000 troops um, to just kind of storm into Gaza. Before that happened, and they were, you know, that kind of, like, very, like, almost long, longer than we thought, waiting period, um, and you saw Bitcoin rising, look at a chart of the Israeli shekel and look at a chart of Bitcoin. And you'll see, and and Israel is a very tech-advanced society, and it has obviously a lot of, you know, it... it The people that the the people that were about to go into Gaza, from what I could see on screen, um, I don't have have defined proof of this, but it seems to me that they put there a lot of their assets into Bitcoin before they went on their mission or whatever it was, um, and have their keys in their head, and that's Mm. uh, so that that way they can maintain their you know like they don't want to leave it in you know the their their local currency which the central bank had to step in and kind of prop up to, when that initially happened because this big sell-off they don't know what they're going to come back to and all that and they want to have their their net worth portable in their in their mind um so my point is that you got to look at it from the f- safe haven angle the, f- what are they fleeing from not necessarily the what's going to get like you know uh institutional adoption and all that like that's great and all that but the real the real driver is has been and I think it will be the safe haven flows. And if Japan ever decides that dollar yen two hundred is unacceptable or whatever it is, and they put their what is it fifty five percent of you know household cash um, that uh, household assets that are in cash, they like allocate that to Bitcoin. Then from a flight position then good god, then you're looking at triple digit USD Bitcoin um sort of prices. But um but yeah, but that's that's just what happened from Turkey. That's just what happened from Israel. So I would look hmm. at it I would like suggest that Bitcoin people look at it from that from that angle. It's not it's not a bad thing. It's it's a good thing. It's showing the sort of safe haven or the kind of the the advantages of it. They're not gonna put it in gold and then just leave that gold behind. They're yeah. gonna they have it in the head, right? So that's that's what I that's a point that I really when I was thinking about coming on this podcast, I was like uh, thinking of th- things to talk about, I really want to to make that point as well.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting, and both of those I hadn't heard anything about, even though bitcoiners are always talking about Bitcoin being a safe haven asset. I hadn't heard those examples, so that's that's Ta- super talk fascinating. to talk to people in countries that are in
0: serious currency crises and they'll t- they'll tell you all about it they'll tell you all about it. Yeah. But, but you got to make sure you're talking to somebody in the actual currency crisis, not like the U.S. dollars, the British pound is like, you know. no, I'm talking about like Argentina type of, you know, crises like that.
1: Yeah, a lot going on in Argentina as well with Malay mm-hmm. uh, talking about abolishing the central bank. We'll- yep. We'll see how that goes um i think we should we should wrap up you've yep. been incredibly generous with your time weston um Absolutely. last question it's an unfair question but uh I'm all sure the all of them have been unfair <laughs> i'm never coming back here again <laughs> your your best guess for dollar yet exchange rate over the next uh few months okay i like that you gave me a few months
0: Because that way, (laughs) that way, I could say like, when I'm wrong, I'll say like, no, but it hasn't been those few months yet. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
1: Um.
0: Okay, here's what I'll say. Um. I think dollar yen will probably let's uh like seriously, I'll say that it'll, in like six months time or whatever it is, like it'll probably be around current levels. But, in the meantime. We're likely going to see a sharp cr- kind of crash down on USDJPY, and then a kind of recovery, very similar to last year, if you will. Right. So, if yeah. you just went to, if you were in a coma, um, and then you woke up six months later, it might just be the same. But in between, I think that you're going to see, um, USDJPY to just fall into, you know, well into the one thirties, um, and then come back up. And the reason is because there's a ton of um, existing hedge funds with short JPY positioning, um, futures positions, and I think that they're going to be squeezed out of their position, um, forcibly so. And so you might get a, a very violent move um, down. And it might actually be happening right now as we speak, but Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, interesting. Okay, man, so much more that I want to ask, but uh, maybe we can save it for another time. Yeah. Um, Weston, give a plug for uh, for what you're doing now. You just went independent, like we mentioned. Um, and yeah, I would I would say, guys, you got to check out Across the Spread. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the to the Substack because uh, you're getting expertise that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah. Th- thank Thank you for that. Yeah. Um. So I'm
0: I'm one of the things I'm doing is trying to revamp like website all that but um across the, of the com is where you get like is where you'll find all the links for everything but mainly what i'm doing is i'm putting out written content as well as video content um i do have to put out much more of it um more regularly i have had let's just say uh which brad and i told brad about um but uh let's just say i've had some um frustrating developments with uh without naming you know specifically the minotoku ward office um <laughs> you know i've had just basically kind of frustrating things happen but we'll, i won't go into detail with that but they will be happening more often and so yeah just just follow me on um uh, follow follow the channel on youtube um all the links and all that i don't know if i can give them to you in the description of this um yeah as, i'll definitely put
1: them all in the description yeah as
0: well as uh on on substack but um but twitter at across the spread as well um And that's where you'll probably see uh most of my at least not my work per se but notifications about my work whether it's a video that comes out whether it's a very long article whatever it is awesome weston thanks a lot thank you brett always a a pleasure
1: okay what'd you think of that i hadn't heard about the turkish lira or israeli shekel connection to bitcoin before so i found that really interesting You can always count on Weston to bring a unique perspective to current events. And like I said, all his links are in the show notes, so definitely check him out. I was also surprised at how positive he was on Bitcoin. I thought that coming from traditional finance, he might be skeptical or even dismissive, but if anything, he was surprisingly negative on the traditional system. Coming from the outside, I always wonder if it really is as shaky and ill-fated as it seems, so it's nice to hear someone kind of from the inside voicing similar concerns. I promise we will have guests less bullish on Bitcoin in the future, so follow this show if you aren't already, and if you'd like to help me out, a rating or review or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon. GM Radio.